Well, it feels good in the house of God today. I just believe God's got something for every single person that made the trip. The beauty of the Spirit of God is that God can minister to each and every individual. Regardless of what your needs are, regardless of where you're from, if this is your first time, or you've been here all your life, the Spirit of God can minister to every single person. And if you'll open your heart today, He's going to do it. Turn with me, please, to the book of Mark, chapter number 2. While you're turning, allow me to say how wonderful it has been to be here in Webster, Texas with Greater Life Church. Love your pastor and his wife and their family, leadership of this church. Some churches have a special place in my heart, and this is one of those places what many people don't know is in January of 2012, just a few days before I came here, I had been preaching weekends just trying to get things off the ground. And I was at Old Charlie's in Lake Charles and uh, got a phone call from a minister. And it was, a, it was actually a phone call by accident. He didn't, he, didn't, uh, he didn't mean to call me. And so I step outside and, and, and I take the phone call and he says, we, we exchanged pleasantries, and he said, well, brother, I, I think this is a mistake. Didn't even, didn't even mean to really call you. And I was fixing to hang up, and he said, hold on just a minute. Can I tell you what the Holy Ghost just told me? And I'm standing outside of Charlie's. He said, I said, yes, sir. And he starts speaking a prophetic word into my life. He said, no longer will you be preaching weekends. He said, but when you go into a church, God is going to give you what that church needs, and you're going to stay longer periods of time. And he said, now I spoke it to you, and I fixed them to pray it over you. And he took off praying, and the Holy Ghost fell on me outside of Old Charlie's. I'm standing there by the door, Shakamo, and everybody's walking by. The very next place I preached, I went to preach from that conversation, was Greater Life Church. And God started something in my life. So I've always have a connection here. And I appreciate your love and your support, your kindness to my family. They came this morning because they wanted to see you all one last time. They're going to go home this afternoon uh, after, after we eat lunch. But we do love you all. We love your families. And we're so thankful that we could be a small part in what God is doing in your life. Let's begin reading with verse number 15. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in the house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If you'll give me the liberty this morning, just for the next few moments, I want to preach on the law of divine attraction. The law of of divine attraction. One more time, could you lift your hands and let's ask the Lord to minister to our hearts. Father, I thank you for every person that is here today.
They are here by the divine will of God. They are here because it's been ordered by the Holy Ghost to be in this place because you want to do something great in their life. I pray, sweet friend, that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say to us. Lord, let us not leave this place until we have been touched by the power of the Holy Ghost. We thank you today for what you're going to do. Why don't we clap our hands and give God praise today. I love you, Jesus. Amen, amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated this morning. The law of divine attraction. The life of Jesus Christ is a life we all look at as being a marvelous transitional period in the realm of the Spirit. The incarnation affords us the opportunity to have our sins remitted by the offering of the spotless Lamb at Calvary. It was the Passover to Pentecost which also proved pivotal for mankind as now the Spirit of God was made available to whosoever will. We read in the four Gospels about the life of our Lord, and we read of miracles. We read the parables, which were really sermons that God broke down for the common individual to understand. We read of mighty displays of power. And we read the highlights, oftentimes not considering what it was really like for those present at that time. We ask ourselves, what was it like? Before his birth, the angel spoke and said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Surely Mary hid this in her heart not comprehending the magnitude of that moment, not really understanding what it meant for the future. Growing up the son of a carpenter, Jesus undoubtedly lived a normal life. He was a typical teenager, yet he was without wrongdoing. His social skills, no doubt, were intact. We could say that he was normal in every way. He was so normal that it disturbed the religious world when he opened his mouth and he began to preach. It caused those around him that perhaps knew him from a baby to ask the question in Matthew 13 and 55, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? How could he speak with such wisdom and authority. But beyond the realm of what he said, it was who he was ministering to that caused such concern on their part. Because he did not come to cater to the self-righteous. He was not there to show favoritism to those who were pious and self-absorbed. He was not going to be known as the God of the gifted but rather he would be known as the Lord of the lost. He did not care what they looked like on the outside. He did not care what path their feet had traveled. The only thing that Jesus was concerned about was I've come to seek and to save every single person on the face of this earth. 
their concern is reflected in our text. When Jesus invited Levi to his house to eat, and many others came with them, and the scribes of the Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners. And they said, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? And Jesus replied, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Woven in the fabric of those few words is a principle in the spirit realm, a law, if you could say. It's the law of divine attraction. It, it's, it gives us a, a, an in-depth view of who, how God acts and, and, and how he ministers to people. Have you, ever, have you ever been in a public setting? Now, we're going to be honest here in your own mind. You don't have to say this out loud, but I'll use myself. And you saw somebody that did not look like they should be with somebody else. They just didn't, if you would have picked two people and said, well, this one's going to be with that one, you wouldn't have picked these two people. And you thought, how in the world did he end up with her? Because they looked so opposite. But the old saying is, opposites attract. If you take two magnets, magnets have north poles and they have south poles. The mightiest of men can take those two magnets and try to make those two north poles come together. And they can't make them come together. But if they flip it and they put the south pole with the north pole, the closer they get, the stronger the attraction between the two. And eventually they cannot stop them from coming together because the opposites attract. You see, the reason that Satan or Lucifer was cast out of heaven was because he tried to be like God. He tried to get in a realm where he was equal with God. And there is only one God. And God said, I, I'm not attracted to people that try to be like me. I'm not attracted to people that try to fix their own problems. I'm not attracted to those things that act like they've got everything under control and they have no problems in their life and they can do everything on their own. I, I, I'm repelled by those. But I'm looking for those people that got problems. I'm looking for the people that can't fix their situation. I'm looking for those people that say, God, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. And God says, I'm going to begin to move right there. I'm attracted to those types of people. You see, God is not disgusted by your problems. He's rather attracted to you because of your problems just tell you how you know if you're a candidate for God. If you got problems, you're qualified. If you wake up every morning and you're still in this flesh, you meet the bill. You're eligible for God to move in your life. Your dilemma does not disqualify you from God's mercy. Rather, it qualifies you 
for God to step in and begin to work in your life. Somehow we've got this mentality that God doesn't like us because of our problems and our struggles. And we beat ourselves up and we feel unworthy. My friend, if that was the qualification, then God would be in heaven all by himself. Because everybody's got problems. And everybody's got things that, they didn't, that, that they've done that they knew they shouldn't have done. There's not a person you'll meet that doesn't have problems. God looks at that and realizes, I can work in the midst of your mess. All a message is is a mess that has age on it. And if you got a mess that's been lingering for a while, God can take that old mess that has aged and turn it into a message of what he can do in your life. See, there's a difference between needing help and wanting help. I need, Brother Landon, I need to drink water. But I don't want to drink water. I mean, I drink it every now and then, but I like Pepsi. It's kind of got some type of form of water in it, I think, maybe like 3%. I need to eat fruit. I don't want to eat fruit. All you need is one fruit roll up a day. That's the enough fruit that you need. They're good, way better than an apple. Just because someone needs something doesn't mean they want it. And I've seen a lot of people where I knew what they were going through. And I knew they needed God to step in their life and turn their mess around. But just as much as I knew they needed it, I knew I couldn't make it happen by myself because they got to want God to step in there. You have to want God to turn your life around. For all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. You know what that verse reveals? That reveals that every person has the need of God in their life. They need God to turn their situation around. But not if everybody wanted God, you couldn't build churches big enough. Not everybody wants God to step in. The hardest people to help are those that think they don't need it. That's why you have these people struggling with situations and, and, and all the caring people around them say, well, we're going to have an intervention. And they get 10 or 12 or 15 people that really care about them and they bring them to a room and they blindside them and say, you know, very rarely does that person go, you know what, all of y'all are right. I'm changing right now. I mean, very seldom does this happen. What usually happens is all 15 people leave more aggravated than when they showed up. Because that person, everybody else saw it except the person that needed to see it. They justified all their actions of why they do what they do. And they have convinced themselves they're right and everybody else is wrong. Kind of like people that you see in a relationship. And a hundred people can say, you don't need to be in this relationship. But as long as they're in it, they can't see it. You got to get out of it. And look back and realize, where, what was I thinking? You know what I'm talking about. The hardest people to help are those people that think they don't they think they need it. I remember, and I, I might have shared this here. I had a, I've told you my chipmunk story. Now I got to tell you my squirrel story. 
I'll work my way down the road. It's a couple of years ago, my kids wanted to learn how to swim. So I called. I might have shared this here. But I called to find out how much swimming lessons were. And there was uh, $135 for five 30-minute lessons. And I'd, I only two of them at the time were going to do it. And I said, well, that's $270. And they only get to swim five times. 30 minutes. And if they don't learn it in five lessons, then we've got to start this thing all over again. I learned how to swim by jumping in the deep end. That's just how I learned. So we were at Walmart, and I was walking, and I saw this big above-ground pool, and it was for $290. And I did a little math. I said, they, for 270 they could swim five times. Or for 290 they could swim all summer. So we bought the pool. If I'd have known how much of a headache those things were, we'd have went with the five times. That thing tested my spirit more than just about anything else. Almost more than some church people. So I never could. I, let me just give you a little bit of advice. If you've got a bunch of pine trees in your yard, don't get a pool. That's the word of the Lord. Remember, hear that. Remember that. I was constantly fighting that thing. I had a cover on it, and, and I was, it, was, it was a nightmare. And so I was so tired of that pool at the hint of cool weather, like we're talking mid-August, I drained that pool when it felt like it was below 90. I said, too cold to swim. We drained it, and we left about six inches of water in that pool. One day I was weed-eating, and, and we were working out in the yard, unfortunately, and I walked by there, and my daughter says, Daddy, there's a dead squirrel in the pool. And we had left some floaties. They had left, not we. They had left some floaties in that pool. And that, I looked over, and there was that squirrel on that floaty. And I said, well, I'll, I'll get in there and, and deal with it later. So I finished up my yard and weed eating. And when I was done, I was walking back by, and I heard a bunch of sloshing. And I looked over. Squirrel was not dead. It was sunbathing on that floaty. And now this squirrel, see, I took the ladder out when I was weed eating, and I guess I didn't know the squirrel was in it, and now the squirrel couldn't get out of it. And so I said, okay, well, this is no problem. I had a big rake in my hand. Now, here's what I was thinking. In my mind, this was going to work out so easy. But reality slapped me in the face when I started my plan. In my mind, I'm looking at this from a totally different angle. All this squirrel could see is the immediate, which is there's no way out. I'm just running in circles, trudging through all this mess. I thought this squirrel would be so desperate for help that when I extended my olive branch via a rake to this squirrel, Brother Hughes, I thought it would be so ready for help that it would just hop up on my rake and it would run up it like it was a tree and it would just hop out the pool. Now, you think that's a good plan too, don't you? I know you do. You'd have done the same thing. But when I extended that rake, that squirrel lost its ever-loving mind in that pool. It started fighting against the very thing trying to help it. It started running underneath all the floaties. So I just started throwing floaties out trying to get to this squirrel. And finally, I'm like, you know what? I'm tired of this. I threw the rake aside, and I got that big pool skimmer. And I just 
flapped it, scooped it, and threw it out very gently in a nice way. I couldn't understand why the squirrel wouldn't accept the help. I'm looking at it from a totally different perspective. I saw the need. I had the answer to the need. I could get it out of its problem. But it was fighting against the very thing trying to help it. And so the next day I was telling somebody about it. And they all thought I'm making this stuff up. Some of this stuff sounds crazy, but I'm a Stevenson. You hang with me a little while. You can have some of these stories too. And so it was my uncle, and we went to my house the very next day to get something out of the back of my house. And we heard sloshing. And we looked, and there was a squirrel. I think it was the same squirrel. It looked exactly like the one I took out the day before. There was a squirrel in the pool again. And now I knew I wasn't. He, he couldn't call me a liar because he saw the squirrel too. And so he told me this time, he said, let me get it out. I said, well, here's a little bit of advice. Skip the rake. Go straight to the pool skimmer. He ain't responding to the rake. And so this time the squirrel was so wore out, he extended that scooper, the, the pool skimmer. He picked it up. The squirrel never moved. He even pulled it to him, and he rubbed it. And then he put it down and got it some, some water or whatever. I don't know why he got a water. It was in a pool full of water. But he got it, got it some water. And I thought to myself, that's just like people. God gets us out. Then we get ourselves back in the very same thing that God got us out of. But God doesn't write you off. What God does is say, hey, I got some more mercy. I can come get you back out of that mess. I love you enough. I'm attracted to this. I see the problems, but I love you. Some of you may have walked away from the very thing that God got you out of. And now he's saying, hey, I can get you out of it again. There's still hope for you. God is attracted to that. So how does it start? How, what's the first step to getting out of my mess? Uh, you got to get honest. You look in this book, you're not going to find but one perfect person, and that was Jesus Christ. But the, the, the key to every single one of them was they recognized, uh, I messed up. They got honest. You cannot get help until you get honest and recognize, hey, this is bigger than me. Bible says in Proverbs, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. The reason David is a man after God's own heart was because when he was confronted by the prophet, he had two options. You can keep covering it up or you can get honest. And he got honest with God. And God brought about a Solomon. Yes, he lost that one child. But God brought about a Solomon who was the wisest of all men. David is known after a man after God's own heart because honesty attracts God. Yes, you got problems. Yes, you're doing things you know you shouldn't do. But if you'll get honest with God, God can work in an honest heart. God can work in an honest heart. You see, your inability is an invitation for God's ability. 
what you can't fix, God can fix. And we look at our inability as weakness. Some people don't like asking for help because they view it as a sign of weakness. In the spirit world, it's a sign of maturity. When you recognize, hey, I've done as much as I can do. I'm not making things any better. I'm making things worse. You're not you're you're just digging a hole and you're getting deeper and deeper and you're not you're not finding any way out of it. The only way out of it is to recognize God is the only way out of my mess. There's people in this building you've been trying to fix it a long time. And willpower is a great thing, but willpower can't always work in the spirit realm. There's a lot of people that can will themselves to do good. There's people that get up every morning at 5 o'clock, and they pray, and they read their Bible, and I'm so thankful. I'm not one of those people. God tells me to go back to sleep because he can't understand what I'm saying at 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm happy for it. I'm thankful they can do it. God bless them. I'm more of that midday prayer when I'm alert and awake. That's willpower. And I'm, I'm thankful. But willpower can't fix all your problems. Willing yourself to stop something is great, but willpower cannot address every single issue in your life. There comes that point in your life where you recognize, God, the only way this thing's going to turn around is i got to throw my hands in the air and surrender and say, God, you take over every single thing in my life. That's why the Bible says, draw nigh to God. And he will draw nigh to you. See, what happens is in the spirit, what you can't see happening is when you make up your mind, God, I'm done with all this mess and I'm coming to you. As soon as you start, it's like that North Pole and that South Pole of those magnets. There's immediately an attraction that starts happening. And when the closer you get, the closer God gets. The closer you get, God says, all right, now it's time for me to All God is waiting on is someone to recognize, God, it's time for you to step into my life. It's time for you to turn my world upside down. I'm living in a miserable nightmare, but today your nightmare can end. Stand with me all over the building right now. Even Paul the Apostle, who wrote most of the New Testament, recognized what it's like to need God. Paul had an abundance of of revelation, but Paul also had an abundance of suffering and things that had. In fact, there was something, we don't exactly know what it was, but there was something that caused him to constantly bombard God. He said, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And I can't get rid of it. You know what God told him? My grace is sufficient for thee, Paul. Why? Because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Paul, if I removed weakness, I would also remove the very thing I'm attracted to. If I remove the struggle in your life and you never had problems anymore, then I'm repelled by that. I can't be attracted to that because what I'm attracted to, the law of divine attraction, is weakness, problems, things that are in your life that you don't like.
struggles that you can't fix, situations that are out of your control. God says those re- the reason those things are there is because that's what attracts me to you. Heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Nobody looking around. The Lord has been dealing with people under the sound of my voice. There are people here today. You know in your heart that things are not getting any better, but rather they're getting worse. And you're trying to convince yourself that everything is all right. You're trying to pe- to, to, to make yourself feel better by telling you that things aren't that bad. But hear me this morning. The Lord stepped in to tell you it's time to recognize that you need the help of God in your life. You're not fixing your problem. You're not making things better of your own will and your own hand. But rather, God is trying to touch you today. God is trying to awaken the realization in your heart that you need Him now more than ever before. And the beauty about God is that He's a gentleman and He's not going to make you do anything. But rather, He simply opens the door. Rather, He simply says, Today is the day of salvation. Today is your opportunity for God to step in and help you today. You say, preacher, I'm here today and I know God wants to work in my life. And you're thinking right now of areas in your life that you need God to work in. I want you to slip a hand in the air. That should be just about everybody in the building because we've all got problems. We've all got things in our life that we don't like. Maybe you're here and you've never had the Holy Ghost. You've never spoken another language as the Spirit of God filled your heart. Only God knows what it is this morning and you don't have to tell a person, but rather you know that God sees and God hears and God understands. I need somebody to start praying with me in the Holy Ghost right now. I feel an unction of the Spirit. God has stepped in this place and He has purpose today. He wants to minister. He wants to minister. He wants to minister to hearts. If you raised your hand and you said, Preacher, you were talking to me, now's the time we put faith on our feet. I want you to step out of your pew and make your way to an altar all over this building. If you don't know what to do, grab the hand of somebody next to you and come up to the front of this building, and we're going to pray with you. We want God to step in this morning. Come on, all over the building. If you raise your hand, I'm inviting you to the front of this place right now. Oh, as they begin to sing, I want you to open your heart today.